We are uh, uh, going to be looking at um, Ephesians 2.10, I believe is where we, we left off. Um, so uh, let's see here. Yeah, I'm going to have, I'm going to read the scripture when we get to verse 11. So we're just kind of finishing up our thought on verse 8, 9, and 10 that we started uh, last week. Um, And again, remember, right, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you for those verses. But, read the next verse, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we, and listen, notice what he said there, not that we would walk in them, we should. And so what does that mean? It's a choice. Now, God has ordained for us to do so. God is creating us in that image to do it. He's giving us the ability to do it. However, it is a should. That we should. So it is becomes a choice that we need to make. Are we going to exercise the grace that he has given to us in its full potential? Or are we going to, uh, you know, listen, and can I say this with, with, with a little... This might be a punch gut to all of us, but, or we can just ignore God and just keep doing what we want to do, you know, and, and, and throw his grace in his face. Because really, the reality is we are his workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. God has ordained us to do so. And if we do not do it, the question then becomes, okay. Who's the one not getting the glory that he should have gotten if you would have done it? Do you understand who you're really slapping in the face by, by not doing so? The Greek word, I'm in the book here, translated workmanship, is poema, for which we derive our English word, poem. It means that which is made, uh, a manufactured product. In other words, our conversion is not the end, And I really do believe that many today in the church think that it is. The end all is, well, I'm saved. I'm good. And we just kind of think that's the end of it all and we're good. And now, you know, we can can kind of go on life and do what we want to do and whatever. And things will work out in the end for us because, you know, God loves us and we're good. And and, and listen, I just want to tell you that, that, that that's very foreign to the Bible. That's not what the Bible is suggesting. Okay, uh, certainly God does love us, but he doesn't love us for what we were. He loves us for what he wants to make us to be. And, and that is a, a very foreign concept that we need to, uh, it's not a foreign concept biblically, it's a foreign concept in the church house today, and we need to pay attention to that because it is important. Uh, uh, our, our conversion is not the end, it's the beginning. We are part of God's new creature And God continues and will continue and wants to work in us to to, to make us what he wants us to be. But for him to do so, we need to walk in the spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That is something that's on our part. We need to do that. God just doesn't 
Oh, and it's done. That's not the way it works. Okay. Now, when it comes to salvation and justification, hey, we put our belief in him. Nothing that we could do could save us. And yes, the day you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you put your faith and trust in him, you believed and received. Yes, at the snap of a finger, you were saved. God moved inside of you and you became a born again Christian. Amen. But again, as I'm trying to say here is, that's verse 8 and 9. But then comes verse 10. And verse 10 becomes the part where we do need to do something. And the Bible calls this part sanctification. And this is where we need to work out our own salvation with trembling and fear. This is where we need to go to work. Not to save us, we're already there. But as James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. Now we need to work to cleanse ourselves. 2 Corinthians 7.1 of all unrighteousness. Does this all make sense? Now listen. Let's be honest. If you've been a churchgoer, is that really the message that's being propagated? And I'm just saying, that bothers me. Because listen, it's not about me. It's not about One Baptist Church. And it's not even about you. The reason why it bothers me and why it should bother you too is because the person who's losing the glory that he should be getting is God by it. And so that should bother us. Do you remember what David said? You know, the man that was after God's own heart? I hate every false way. Isn't that what David said? We should too. When something's not right, we shouldn't just be like, well, no. We need to hate it like David hated it. Because at the end of the day, the reason why David hated it is because God was not getting the glory. That's why. And so we need to make sure we understand those things. God continues and wants to work in us. And his purpose is to make us more like Christ. That's what he wants to do. That is what his objective is. That is, listen, that is why he saves you. Wait a minute. I thought God just loved me. He does. But he saved you so that he can make you, make me, make One Baptist Church, make any church for that matter, more like him. Why? Because when we're like him, he came to do the Father's, so that the Father would get his. That's church. So if you've been here on Thursday nights, we've been going over that, haven't we? We've been talking about that. And so I would highly suggest you go back and listen to those Thursday night messages for the last five weeks, because that's what we've talked about. And I believe Brother Robert is going to be picking back up in uh, Psalms coming next Thursday. Okay, so y'all are done with me. Y'all can start coming back to church now, okay? Good. All right, uh, listen, okay? <laughs> you could laugh, man. There you go. I knew you had it in you. Hey, huh? Amen. Two weeks in a row, man. We're so glad to have you, man. You got a pretty voice. Don't be nervous, though, man. Just belt it. Go. You got it, girl. All right. If you know her backstory, if you know some of the situations and the problems that she's dealt with health-wise and stuff like that, 
You'd know why we're so very thankful to see her sitting right there right now. You would know. If you don't know, uh, you know, maybe, maybe ask because it is a good story. And we are very grateful uh, that you are here for sure. Listen, how does God work in us? He does so through his Holy Spirit, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And the way he does that, just so you know, all right, and if we wanted to take time to start comparing verses with verses right now, we could, we, we could easily get here, okay, is the way he does that is through the word of God. That's how he does it. Okay, so if we're not in the word, if we're not studying the word, if we're not around the word, if whatever, whatever however you want to, 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 to flavor that, then he cannot do his goodwill in and through us. Because, 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 because frankly, and I can say that because I'm frank, uh, you know, you, you just, how else could you do it? How else could you do it? There's no other way to do it. We've got to allow his word to work in and through us, right? Okay. Christ finished his work of redemption on the cross, but he rose from the dead and returned to heaven. It is there he is carrying out his unfinished work of perfecting his church. Uh, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, Hebrews 13, 20 to 21, to give you a little uh, 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 backdrop there. Christ is equipping us for our walk and our work here on earth. Too many Christians think that conversion is the only important experience and that nothing follows. But I mean, I really, truly, humbly believe that is wrong. I really do. We can use the resurrection of Lazarus as an example. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, loose him and let him go. It wasn't just loose him and let him go. And what I'm, what I'm saying there, if you follow that, that text in John, in other words, this man is now alive. Take off the grave clothes. Stop living like the man you used to be. Stop living like the sinner you are. You're alive. Take the grave clothes off, man. Let's go. Let's put on the new man. Amen? Right? So Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, If you then be risen with Christ. Now, how many here would say, I'm risen with Christ? If you're not raising your hand right now, that means you're not saved. Let's try that again. How many of you would say, I'm risen with Christ? All right, so Amelia and Cheyenne are not. Good. Yeah, that's because you're talking, young lady. I watched you. I picked that out perfectly. I knew right when to say that. All right. Do you know what I just said? You quiet down. All right, listen. If you then be risen with Christ, what? What? Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above. Not where? Man, not on the things of the earth, for you are dead. What? How am I dead? I'm alive. Your body is dead. Let the living God live in you. I mean, Paul said it differently over there in Galatians 2.20. Right? Right? He said that. He said the same thing here, but differently over there in Galatians 20. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Today, on the basis of that price paid at Calvary, he is working in us to conform us to his image. 
And you know what I'm going to say now. Okay. That clearly is true. Like, we're given the verses to back it up. If he's working to conform us into his image, what does that mean? We weren't in his image prior to that. Can't conform us to his image if we're already in it. No. We weren't in his image. We were in the image of Adam. We were a fallen creature. Yet, he cannot work through us unless he works in us. We are not saved by faith plus good works, but by a faith that works. You see that? That's biblical, man. We do not perform good works to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God. If we're trying to earn crowns for our own selves, that's not the way this thing works. Our crowns are being earned because we want to earn them for him so his glory can be magnified. Uh, if y'all remember here, uh, I don't know, it's been a, a few months now, but remember when my, my boy here preached for about 10 minutes and he was talking about those crowns? Remember that? And, and man, he had such an insight that I never saw before that was really cool. But you know, when, when the Lord Jesus returns and on his head are many crowns, how many of those crowns on his head did you put there? Huh? That is a sobering thought, if you really stop and you think about it. Wow. Those crowns that he's going to have on his head, we have the opportunity to earn right now to put them on his head. Man, I don't know what else to do with that. That almost is almost like a mic job. It really is. Top of page 18, Paul desired that Christ would be magnified in his body, even if it meant death. We should abound to every good work. And obviously you can see I'm giving you verses there. And be fruitful in every good work. One result of a knowledge of the Bible is that the believer is thoroughly furnished for every good work. As believers, we are to be zealous of good works. Our good works are actually spiritual sacrifices that we offer up to God. And I gave you Hebrews 13 there, but you could also insert Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm, tr- I'm just trying to give you biblical verses to back up what we're saying so that you can go back and go, I mean, it says it right there. <laughs> I can't get around this. That's what it says. And that's why I always say, man, listen, we may not all agree on what the Bible means, but I can tell you what we can agree on. What does it say? And listen, if it says it, then who are we to say that it doesn't say it? Man, you know, I think one of the saddest things that I have seen amongst Christians today is when you get into conversations with them and you have conversations and you just show them flat out what it says in the Bible, man, they just will not believe what it says. It doesn't work. Yeah, that's just your interpretation. No, it's not. That's what it says. Okay? Stop, stop. We got to stop with that whole that's just your interpretation stuff. We got to stop with that because it, it, it just doesn't fly. It's what it's, God is not allowing anything in his book to be open to our interpretation. He has flat out said no prophecy of the scriptures for any private interpretation. There is no interpretation of the Bible if you just let the Bible say what it says. But we are so Laodicean in our thinking. 
And what I mean by Laodicean, if you don't understand what that term is, we have just really made church all about us. It's our preferences, it's our likes, it's our stuff, whatever. And really, the reality is that's just not how God put this thing together. And we spent some time talking about that biblically on Thursday night. And again, I do think it's important that we understand that. All right, so let's break down this verse a little bit more. Workmanship. Workmanship. It is the idea that's behind what Paul calls in other places a new creature. It's a new creature. God has created. He's, he's, he's taken that dead vessel, that, 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 that potter took the dead vessel, and, 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 and he crushed it, and he broke it down, and now he's working it to mold it to how he wants it to look like. Right? That good? Workmanship. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold. How many things? All things become new. Galatians, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Titus 2.14 says that Jesus gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. End of story? No. Zealous for good works. Are we zealous for good works? Are we zealous about, you know, you know what that word means? You know what a zealia is? Somebody who is sold out to something, man. This is all, it, it controls them. It's, it's, it's what they're all about. Letter B here, created in Christ Jesus, the new man. Ephesians 4.24 says, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Does that mean that the day you got saved, you put on the new man? No, Paul's, Paul is exhorting us to put on the new man, which means he's talking about the sanctification stuff. He's saying, hey, put it on, man. And, and, and you, you know what we're going to say about that put on stuff, right? Something has to come off to put something on. So let me, let me kind of wrap this in. Like Lazarus, take off the grave clothes so that you can put on the robes of righteousness. But the grave clothes got to come off first. Okay? The day Jesus saved you, okay, he, remember when you, if you were here on Thursday night, remember what we said? Listen, listen, God changes the inside. We change the outside. He, he changes the inside. Now we have to make our robes of righteousness, if you will, our wedding gown, i.e. Proverbs 31. That's our responsibility. So that when we present ourselves as the bride of Christ, we are now clothed properly. We're clothed in righteousness. I agree, agree with that. But he's talking about the inside being clothed in righteousness. We need to take off those grave clothes and we need to prepare our wedding dress. Everybody understand that? And man, if you really wanted to kind of get some insight on that, go read John 21. You remember Peter? 
You, you remember when it said that he jumped into the water, when he knew that it was Jesus sitting on the, so, on the shore? You remember Peter? When he jumped in there, it said he was naked. Now, was he stark naked? No. See, he, he, no. Jesus had took care of the inside. Now he needed to go take care of the outside. And I'm telling you, John 21 will help you a little bit in that area if, uh, if you want to go do some extra looking into that. Uh, Colossians 3.10 says, And then put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And I will remind you that renewed of knowledge and things to those matters. Now go back to that board there. Remember he abounded to us all wisdom and prudence. Remember when he said, I, I, when he was praying back in Ephesians chapter 1, what was he praying about? That our knowledge would increase. That our wit. How can our knowledge increase? How can our wisdom increase? How can those things happen? Do you think they just happen because you got saved? Well, of course not. You can't, you're not just going to go, well, I'm saved, and start walking down the street and go, no, well, I know that now. Well, I know that now. Oh, man, I'll go. look at that. I know that now. No. Where are you going to get your knowledge? Where are you going to get your wisdom? Where is all that going to come from? The Word of God. That's how these things happen. That's how we grow. Yeah? Amen? All right. Let her see unto good works. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. 1 Corinthians 10.23, he says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So, what he's saying is, okay, in a nutshell, and this is why I will say, just because, and just hear me out, man, please, just, just grab onto what I'm trying to say. Don't, don't look into it. What, remember, Paul's writing to Corinth. There's big problems going on at Corinth. That is the point of 1 and 2 Corinthians. He's not writing to a church that is doing what they're supposed to be doing. He's writing to a church that's not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and he's calling them out on it. That is the nature of 1 and 2 Corinthians. I wish people would see that. Because if you see that, you're going to understand that, listen, and he was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to call out Corinth. Oh, we, we, we can't do that, man. I mean, we can't be calling out other churches. What's up with that? Well, well Paul did. <laughs> By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and what he's saying here to the Corinthians, he's saying, listen, listen, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. In other words, you're, you might be doing a bunch of stuff over here in Corinth, and you might be doing it all in the name of Jesus over here in Corinth, but listen, not all things edify. Not all the things you're doing and what you're supposed to be doing. What you're supposed to be doing, I don't know what you're doing. You certainly know what you're supposed to be doing. You got the word of God to know. But, but, but you ain't doing it. And so that's why I say, listen, we can have all kinds of ministries in churches. We can have all kinds of ministries. But if they're not designed behind what is going to edify the body, then why are we... Ha- what? All things are expedient, but not all things are lawful. That's what he, do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying, listen, I don't know what you people are doing. You're all coming together in the church setting. You're all calling yourselves a church. You're all gathering around Jesus' name, but I don't know what you're doing. And that's why he closes in 2 Corinthians 13. He says what? 
hey, you better examine yourselves, man. You better make sure you're in the faith and not reprobates. See what I'm saying? We've got to allow God's word to be the, the end all to how we function as a church body. It can't be our preferences. It can't be our opinions. It has to be his alone. He has to be the head. He has to be the authority. Because if he's not, if he's not, here would be my question. Who died for this? Who shed his blood for this? Was it you? Was it me? Or was it him? Whose is this? I mean, Paul's going to get into this in Ephesians. Who is the head of the church? Who is the cornerstone? Who is the preeminent one? And you know, here's where that fine line comes. I would be guaranteeing you that you could talk to anybody and they would agree with what I just said. I don't think you'd find anybody in the church house today that would not agree with that. But, is that really what they believe? Because then you start watching what's going on and you start going, "Uh, okay, Christ isn't the head of this thing. That pastor's the head of this thing. Or Christ isn't the head of this thing. The, 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 the leadership of the church is the head of this thing. Or Christ isn't the head of this thing. Whoever is paying the most money in the church and up in the church, that's the head of this thing. And you start watching, you start going, okay. It's no longer Christ is the cornerstone now. It's no longer we're doing it the way Christ has told, prescribed us to do it. We've entered into the human element of the way we're doing things now. And I'm just telling you, man, When Christ came, he went at those Pharisees. And you want to know why he went after them? You want to know why he jumped down the the, the Sadducees and 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 the scribes and the Pharisees' throat? And you want to know why he called them out for what they were over there in Matthew 23? And yes, he called them out. You hypocrites. You got dead bones. On the outside, you look like you're all that. But on the inside, we know. More importantly, I know. Jesus. You're you're dead. This is wrong. See, what we've turned church into, and please just hear what I'm saying, man. We've turned church into a religion. That's what we've turned it into. It has become a religion. And you go, well, how do we turn it into a religion? See, religion is man-made. When we make man-made ideas and thoughts and whatever it is that go into whatever that goes into, it's no longer the body of Christ. It's no longer the biblical church. It's now a man church. And listen, you and I have to be sober to even understand what I just said. Many don't. And I don't mean that as a shame. I don't mean that as a as a Well, you're just ignorant people, man. You guys all stink. I don't mean that at all. What I'm saying is, do you see how subtle the devil is? He's blinding our eyes to these things. And when our eyes are blinded, 
But they don't have to be. And that's the point I'm trying to make. They don't have to be blind. We've got a book to shed the light. We've got a book that if we walk in the light, he will. I mean, look at man. If I walked into a room and it was completely, utterly dark and I started walking around, what's going to happen? I'm going to start bumping into things. Right over there, man, there, there's a bunch of nails. But if the light's not on, I'm not going to see the danger. Over there is some broken glass. Over there is a hole. Do you understand? But if it's pitch black and I don't see it, and I'm just walking around in here, what God does with his word is he turns the light on. He lights our path. So, oh, man, I'm glad that light's on right there because I was, I was just about to walk into that glass right there. Oh, man, I'm glad right there because there's a hole right there. I would have fell right in that ditch. You see what I'm saying? Speaking about walking, here we go. Letter D, we should walk. I didn't do that on purpose. That just, that just flew. Right? You see that, Jim? That was good. There are many things we should do. There is an effort. Can, can, a, can a baby... Can a baby that's two months old, can a baby just get up out of that crib, man, and just start running around? Really? Is that what you did? Oh. All right, good. But, watch, watch, but when Adeline did, when Ezekiel did, when Savannah and Peyton and all your kids did, you had to watch that kid, didn't you? Why? Because the kid, even though the kid can walk now, <laughs> you got to keep an eye on that kid. And that, that new friend, why? Because that kid will find himself in trouble real quick if you don't keep an eye on him. Do you understand why discipleship is so important? We're just, we're, we're bringing people to salvation, maybe. And I mean that just because I'm not sure a lot of biblical salvation is going on. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. That's just my opinion, okay? But regardless, if we are getting people saved, you want to know what we're doing, man? We are just... They're born again, they become babes in Christ, and we just say, amen, we got our ticket punched over here. Hey, how many people raised their hand or saved today? How, how many? How, 37 salvations today, amen. And then you want to three months later, half those people, if not three quarters of those people, if not all those people aren't even in the church anymore. Did they really get saved is my question. And if they did, here would be my next question. Here would be my next question. What did we do with them? Do you just let a baby go run around? freely hey here we're gonna do okay i know i live right out here on south side boulevard and i know you are a brand new baby that just learned how to walk but here's what i'm gonna do man you see that grass right out there you go out there and play and have fun i'll come and check you out in a little while <laughs> i mean what do you think the chances that little baby's gonna run out in that road and get hit by cars that's what we do to people man and i'm telling you that is not the way god designed this at all at all there is a growing process that we all need to go through and that's fine but but can i say this but walk will you walk don't just stand still and and i think you know if we're being honest with ourselves and i'm i'm gonna raise both my hands because i've done it in, in and probably still do it at times Sometimes, sometimes we don't even not just step forward. What are we doing? We're stepping backwards. We're not even going forward. We're going backwards. 
Paul's trying to tell us there is a point in time where we got to get real about this thing. Don't worry about everything else. We put so much stock in our opinions and so much stock in everybody else's opinions. And the reality is, is why do we do that? Let's just put stock in God's opinion. If we just focus on that, it's so easy. It's so, so easy to point the finger. So easy to do that. And we all do it, if we're being honest with ourselves. So easy to point the finger at the pastor. That's real easy. Can I tell you why? Well, because I'm the one up here. Robert's the one up here preaching. Or whoever it is. And we can all point the fingers at them. And listen, I'm okay with pointing the finger at them if they are doctrinally incorrect. If they are doctrinally incorrect, I wouldn't even say that we should be okay with pointing the finger at them. I would say, biblically, we must point the finger at them and say they're incorrect. Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith. Paul said to Timothy and to Titus, call them out. And Paul did it by name. Like, he had no issues with that. I have no issues with that. What I do have an issue with, and what I do think we got to be careful with, is when we start going, well, man, the pastor, man, he just preaches too long. Okay, could you give me a Bible verse that says that's wrong? Oh, the pastor, man, he just, he just gets way too heated and heavy. Could you give me a Bible verse that backs that up? Oh, man, that pastor, man, he just, he runs all around the stage. Could you give me a Bible verse that says that's wrong? Oh, man, the pastor, man, he's just always, he's just always, you know, calling out this, calling out that. Could you give me a Bible verse that says that's wrong? Oh, the pastor, he, y'all, y'all got me. It's so easy to do that. I could, you don't think I could do the same thing to you? Why don't you get up here? Get up here every week, week after week, and you start preaching. Let me see. And listen, not to toot my own horn, Robert, not to toot his own horn, but we know a little something about the Bible. You don't think we can listen to you and go, ha, ha, you jerk. That was wrong. What is wrong with you, man? I could call every single one of you out on something, and I'm sure Robert could too. I know Robert's judging me right now. I can see it in his face. No, you see what I'm saying, man? It's so easy to do that. And you, can I tell you why we do it? Because somewhere in our minds... We want to point the finger at somebody else and say why they're wrong about something. We're prone to that because we need to be right. And what God's trying to tell us in his book is, get rid of that. Get rid of that junk. It don't do nothing for nobody. You are not going to edify one another. You're not going to edify yourself. No edification is going to take place when you are so worried about stuff that does not matter. At the end of the day, the only thing that I believe in all truth that we should be having conversations about when it comes to church, what does the Bible say? If you could call it out of the Bible, then I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you 100%. But let's be honest, man. A lot of things that happen in the church, we've seen it, man. I'm sure we've all been in churches. We've seen stuff that happens in churches. I mean, some of that junk's happened in this church. I mean, it's just, it's just, 
none of it matters. Why are we so... And you want to know the sad part about the whole thing is? You want to know what the worst part about the whole thing is? While we're doing that, do you want to know who's not getting his glory? And that's the worst part. It's not the preservation of the saints, and you're not going to do it just because. It is going to take effort for you to acknowledge you are in Christ, walking in the Spirit. This is not a if-you-get-around-to-it idea, which I do think a lot of Christians believe it is. Well, you know, I'm just too busy. I've got a lot of things going on in my life, man. When I get around to it. No, this is a you-should-do-it, and you-should-do-it-right-now. Because you don't know that you had another breath in you. And if your next breath is your last breath, you better be hoping that your last breath was because you were doing it and not waiting to get around to it. You follow? There is no requirement to become a saint. And listen, I'm going to say that one more time, and I'm going to want everybody in this room to say amen because it's true. There's no requirement that we become a saint. Let's try that again. That was just awful. Let's pretend like we are at a stadium and your favorite team just scored, right? Ready? There's no requirement to become a saint. You want to know why that's an amen? Because the victory is already ours. There's no requirement. Jesus paid it all. To all. I owe. How about you? How about you? And listen, man. That is such a reassuring thing. It really is. But let me say this. Although there is no requirement to become a saint, there is a responsibility of being one. That's why I don't like when you drive by a church and they got those little signs up there and it says, we're just a hospital for sinners. I'm sorry. Maybe it's my preference. I don't know. You call it what you want. But I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree with that. If you're still a sinner, if you're a Christian, you've got a problem. You, gotta, you say, but I still sin. That's, a whole, that's not what, I didn't say you weren't going to sin anymore. We all do, right? But what does Paul say? God forbid if you continue in sin. Like, why would you continue doing that? We've got to start working towards the, 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 the reality of, of defeating the sin in our life because now we have the power to do so. Is that going to just happen? No. Yes, I agree. There is a process. But let's be honest, man. Do you know how great... Look, we got churches at every corner in Jacksonville. Right? Anybody argue that? We got 1.3 million people in Jacksonville and there is over 1,100 churches in Jacksonville. By the last count that I saw uh, from the statistical thing that they do over here at the JBA. Okay, 1,100 churches in Jacksonville. Man, Jacksonville should be, we should be a holy city. We got so much stuff. So many, so many. Why isn't it? Let's be honest. Why isn't it? Well, I think it's probably a twofold answer. Maybe, maybe some of those churches are preaching truth and the people just ain't listening. Or maybe, just maybe, something right ain't going on. 
Something right ain't going on. The reality is something's wrong. And you have to admit that. Something's wrong. And I guarantee you we could say that now about every single city in the United States. Why are we so lawless? Why is our society so degraded? Is it the failure of Jesus' blood-bought, true, biblical church? Of course not. God doesn't fail. So where does the failure lie? It's us. And do note, Paul said this was going to happen. Right? 2 Timothy 3. In the last days, and if you don't believe we're living in the last days, I don't know what, what, what you're paying attention to. We're in it, man. Perilous times are going to come. Men are going to be lovers of their own selves. Oh, there's the heart of Laodicea right there. They're going to have a form of godliness. See, they're following after a God, but they're denying the power thereof. And what's going to happen? What does Paul say? Ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. See, they're learning something, but that ain't true. And just because you learn something don't mean it's true. By the way, right here in One Baptist Church, just because I teach you something, just because Robert teaches something, it doesn't mean it's true unless you can find it in the Bible. If you can find it in the Bible, this is where absolute truth comes from. It doesn't come from Pastor Frank. It doesn't come from Pastor Robert. It doesn't come from One Baptist Church. It doesn't come from any church for that matter. It comes from the Bible and the Bible alone. That's where truth is found. Are we okay with that? You are now in Christ, and what you do is done in Him. So therefore, we should walk. We should walk. And, and, you know, I really love the way Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.14. Listen, hear what I'm saying on this. I want to try to make a point here. Um, what I have witnessed in the church house, you know, oftentimes I go online and I'll listen to messages from other churches, which, by the way, I, I suggest you do that sometimes. Just do it, man. Just do it. You've been around here long enough. Just, just go listen. And I'm not saying to go listen so that you could pick apart their church. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is just go listen and, li- and, and hey, what did you get out of that? Did you grab something? And I'm telling you, man, from my experience, and again, I get it. I get it. I understand that there could be a side of this where someone could look at me and say, you just want everybody to come to your church, obviously. Come on, man. You don't want want people going to other churches. I get that. But I can promise you this, man, with everything I have in me, I really don't care about that. I don't. I never have, and I never will. I could care less. If you want to go to another church, by all means, just go to church. What I do care about, though, is that you're getting taught right. What I do care about is that he's getting the glory that he is supposed to be getting. So that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. Because I care about that. I could care less who's going where. I don't care about that. I I really honestly don't. Give me 10 people that are on fire for Christ, man, and let's go. I'm good. 
I don't need, I don't need 100 people. I don't need 5,000. I don't need 10,000. I just want Christ to get his glory. That's all I want. That's all I want. And I'm dead serious when I say that. Because I really don't care. But I do care about him getting his glory. And when I have had the experience, and I've done it quite often. I told y'all when I first moved down here, man, uh, we, we, we went to other churches. I listened online. I wanted to see what was going on. I was coming from the north. I needed to know what you know. I needed to know what I was getting myself into and what to do here, you know. And I did not. And here's the crazy part: I did not. I thought I was coming to the Bible Belt. I did not expect to hear and see what I saw and heard. That wasn't. That was the farthest from my mind. I was like, man, I can't wait to get down here and see what everybody's doing. This is going to be so awesome. Huh? Whoa, 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 that ain't right. Whoa, 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 that ain't right. No, that is not good. No, that's wrong. And then what I started to realize was, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This is not good. And listen, man, what am I supposed to do with that? I mean, honestly, most of you, man, if you've been around this church and you've been involved... There's a reason why you come here, because you recognize it too. You're like, man, something ain't right there, because you, you certainly ain't coming here because you're like me. I know that, right? Bill might. I don't know. Maybe. Now? Oh, yeah, he still, doesn't, he still doesn't like me. Okay. But you see what I'm saying, man? It's like, what am I supposed to do with that? Let me ask you this question, okay? If I let a Jehovah Witness come into this church and preach at this pulpit right now, what would you all do? Why? Why would you do that? Would you let a Jehovah Witness come into your house and teach you Bible study? Anybody want to raise their hand and say, I might. Yeah, I might do that. How about a Mormon? Would you let them do that? Huh? Pam, you know all about it. Would you, would, if I let a Mormon come up here and preach from our pulpit, would y'all be okay with that? Huh? What if, what if I let, what if I let a Muslim come up here and start teaching you about Allah? Would you be, and he started opening up the Quran? Are y'all okay with that? You see, understand something. You're for, you're enough along in your understanding of the Bible to go, that's wrong. And at that point, you're fine with calling it out, going, get that person out of here, man. I don't want them here. That's wrong. Okay, let me ask you a question. Then how come it is that when me or Robert are taking it up a little bit further, our understandings may be a little bit more farther along biblically than yours is, and I don't mean that as a degrade. I'm just saying, it's, is it possible? Okay. Well, maybe I can look at the other church and their pastor and go, that's wrong. Just like you would say, that's wrong. Why is it okay for you to say that's wrong and it's not okay for me to say that's wrong? Because what I'm going to say to you is, it's okay for you to say the Jehovah Witness is wrong. It's okay for you to say the Muslims wrong. You should say they're wrong if you could prove biblically they are wrong. If you can, then shouldn't we be calling that out? 
Man, if a Jehovah Witness started talking to your son or daughter or your, or your family or your, you know, your, your husband or your, your wife or, or if he started talking to your, your mom or your dad, would you, would you step in and say, no, get away from that, it's wrong? Or would you just sit back and go, well, you know, they love Jesus. I'm just going to let them go. Is that what you would do? And let me just say this. If it is, if that is what you would do, you're not conducting yourself as a Christian like you should be. Jude says, earnestly contend for the faith. You're not contending for anything. Well, I just don't want, you know, man, hey, as long as they're following God, as long as they're going to church, that's cool. Is that cool? Is it okay that it's just as long as they're going to church? What if they just go to a Jehovah Witness church? Is that okay? What if they go to a Mormon church? Is that Okay. What if they turn to Muslims and, be, and they go to the mosque? Is that okay? Are you okay with that too? Or are you going to open your mouth and say, hey man, something ain't right here. We live in a society today where the devil has done so masterfully. We live in a society today where, hey man, you ever, you ever see the bumper stickers? Coexist. Coexist. I'm just asking a question. Does Jesus coexist? You know, when he says, I'm the way, the truth, the life, no man cometh down to the Father but by me. Was Jesus coexisting? Doesn't sound like he was coexisting to me. Sounds like he was saying, that's all wrong. Get away from it. Get out of it. Because you want to know why? Because when it's wrong, who is it from? Come on, man. We got to get our heads on right. When something's wrong, it is wrong. And where does wrong come from? That is satanic. We have to understand that, man. We just do. It's so difficult to wrap our brains around because of the society we live in. But at the end of the day, either, (laughs) you've heard me all say it, either it's black or it's white. There is no in the middle. Either it's right or it's wrong. If I have 99% truth, is it true? No, it's still wrong. Why? Because there's something wrong in there. Truth, by definition, has to be 100% true. When Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth, either he is all truth or he is not. I mean, we could go to all kinds of Bible verses right now to back up what I just said. There's no, either you are for me or you are against me. Either you're hot or you're cold. If you're lukewarm, Jesus says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. That's what God thinks. That's what Jesus thinks of the, the middle crowd. Because he understands as well as I do, and you should, there is a, either it's right or it's wrong. And when a church in these last days preaches about the love of God, let me just say this, because this is what I've heard over and over and over again. And listen, man, I am all about the love of God, for God is love. And I am very, very grateful for the love of God, because it was the love of God that he commended toward us, that while we were yet sinners... He died for us. I am all for the love of God. However, what I have heard in my experience 
It's the wrong understanding of the truth of the love of God that's being taught. That's incorrect. We are calling it the love. Jim, God loves you. He loves you. He wants to take care of you. He wants to meet you right where you're at. Hey, hey, listen, man. Just, just come to Jesus. He'll take care of all your problems. He's got you. Okay? Just, just listen. He loves you. And you know what's sad to me is? If you're being honest, man, you know, you know, you know some of the things that I don't even hear anymore? I listen to a pastor at a church, and I'm not going to call out my name. I'm just going to tell you that for six weeks, they preached on the subject. And in six weeks, there was two words he never once said. He never once said the word repent, and he never once said the word sin. Now, there's one other thing he never said, and I held off to say it, and he never talked about the blood of Christ. <laughs> what are we doing, man? You know, Paul warned, if they come preaching another gospel, let them be accursed. If you take out repent, you take out sin, and if you take out uh, 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 the blood of Christ, you are preaching another gospel. You're preaching elements of the gospel. But if you take components out, is it still the truth? I just, we just talked about that. No. And so the question now becomes is, what it, why? so let's think about that for a second. Why wouldn't a preacher want to preach about sin or repentance? Why wouldn't a preacher want to preach about that? You want to know Why? Be honest now. If you're honest, well, because I don't want the preacher to just sit up there and call me a sinner all the time. That just stinks. I don't want a preacher telling me I have to repent. That stinks, man. I just want to know what God's going to do for me. Oh, God loves me? Oh, I like that. That sounds good. Oh, God wants to do for me? Hey, bring it, man. I love all that. What's God going to do for me? I love it, love it, love it. Oh, I got to do that? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't like that. Now I got to do something. Oh, that's actually going to cost me something now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I don't know what happens. You don't keep the people in the seats for very long. You just don't, right? And when you got the big building and you got to pay the big building cost and all that stuff that's going on, what's the preacher got to do now? He's going to have to preach to itch the ears of the people. What does Paul say? Itching ears. Nah, that's what happens, man. That is how we got to where we got. The reality is, though, we got there. Let me tell you what Paul says about the love of Christ, and I'm done. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Who we are, what we do, represents the body of Christ, and it represents Him. At our Bible study on, on Saturday nights at, at, at the house, we had it last night uh, at my house. We did our one link. And we're talking about the 12 minor prophets. And we've been looking at um, just unfolding that whole thing, okay? What we've learned thus far is that God's very serious about what he says. Amen? We go, we go with that? All right. He's very serious. 
The other thing we learned is, although God is a very merciful God, and although God is all those things, there's another part of God. What's the other part of God, folks? He is a God of wrath and a judgment. Okay? So listen, when we focus all about the love of God, and we're not putting our attention all about the judgment of God, we are not representing God for who He really is. And you say, well, why would I want to talk about the wrath of God and the judgment of God? Because that's where people are without Him. That's why. It isn't the love of God constraineth us. What does Paul say over there in Philippians? What is it, chapter 2? We warn men. Well, warn them about what? The wrath of God, man. Listen, man, do you all know that when Jesus returns, do you understand what he's going to do? And if, did you ever even hear this in a church? Do you know what he's going to do? He is literally going to have the word of God coming out of his mouth. And you want to know what are going to happen to people? They are literally going to blow up and the blood's going to splatter everywhere. What? Christ is going to do that? Yeah. Yeah. How come we ain't talking about that, man? Where did that, where did that go in the message today? And you go, well, we can't do that, man. That just makes people, that, that fears people into, into salvation. You know what? I could say this. I'd rather fear somebody into salvation than give them a false salvation. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Hey, as long as that person got saved, man. Well, you can't preach that in the church house, man. The people just, not, not today. The people just don't go for it. Oh, so the message changed? We got we to tailor it to the people now? And if you know anything about what I just said right there, you'll know that's exactly what's going on, man. How many times I've heard churches say, well, we, gotta, we just got to reach the people for where we are today. No, we don't. We don't have to reach the people for where we are today because it's no different today than it was a thousand years ago. People are still lost. People are still doing the same stupid things. People are still falling down. Stuff's still happening. No, it ain't. Yeah, the times have changed, but people don't change. And God doesn't change. Amen.